you want to be at the forefront of all that information so you can learn and grow and scale. And I've learned more from vendors oftentimes than I've learned on my own, right? You can say, well, what is best in class right now? What can I afford and what can I incorporate into my process? Because ultimately your goal as a manufacturer is to capture economies of scale. That's something I do know from economics, (laughs) right? Your goal is to get a comparative advantage, right? The basic still works. You want a comparative advantage in how you produce products so that you can maintain margin, right? And capture economies of scale as you build up your facility. guys welcome back to the more rounds podcast i'm kim lewis ceo and co-founder of chromix and today we would typically be talking about funding your business that's what we talk about in all the other episodes but in this episode today you guys we're talking about co-packing versus manufacturing so chromix has had the unique privilege of making our own products from day one and my co-founder and life partner timothy lewis has managed the part of the business that no one else gets to see the operations the manufacturing and we are so lucky to have him on the episode with us today. So, but before we get started, I want to make sure we do cheers, okay? Cheers. Ooh, that was a good one. And I hope y'all like my holiday outfit. It's giving Christmas tree ornament. I hope y'all like my death row fit. It's giving <laughs> Suge Knight. <laughs> it's a little fitted to be Suge Knight. It's probably giving more Kevin Hart, you know? <laughs> I'm offended. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> tell us about your background and why you're qualified to run a manufacturing facility. Ooh, you know, that's a great question because I actually don't think that I am qualified. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that if you buy Chromex. No, <laughs> right? My background, I tell people this all the time, but I have no background in manufacturing um, outside of what I've been able to learn on the job, Right. Um, But what I do have is the benefit of being able to learn. Uh, I feel like that is my biggest skill set. So I started out in college learning judgment and decision making, behavioral economics. I was a double major in economics and psychology. I was on my way to being a professor. I was working at the Booth School of Business and I was a researcher. So learning was everything that I did. Um, And that's what I love to do. When you came to me and said, like, I need you to run the manufacturing and you would run the marketing. We didn't get along at first. Right. We had to (laughs) learn how to work together. I had to learn on the job because you had the expertise. Right. You were the one who studied supply chain management. You had the experience working in factories like General Mills, all those things. And I was lucky enough to learn from you. Uh, you make it sound real sweet. But in the beginning, you would not listen to me. You were not doing anything that I asked you to I do. I was learning. Tim thought he knew the best way to do everything. So in, in our relationship, he was always the smarter one. And so I, I say air quotes, right? Because you, you do consume information better than me. And you do remember things better than me. Recall and then um, implement. You know, you remember how to implement those things. Now, I may be more ambitious. I may be more proactive, all the things. But knowledge base wise you were more skilled than me and not but and so when we had the manufacturing uh the earliest facility about making things i remember we had a specific process for making the flaxseed gel and you would be like well we don't have to do it that way we could do it this way and then you get a different product with a different consistency and i remember fighting 
I remember arguing about it. I remember arguing a lot when we first started working. I think I came on the business full-time March 2018. Mm -hmm. Before that, we were just, I was working the whole time, right? I was working actually in cybersecurity and as a developer, right? That's also not manufacturing. But I was working in the business, uh, packing boxes, doing the events, helping you with the website, right? CTO is probably a more natural fit for me. But I learned from you on the job, but it wasn't easy. I'll say that much. It was probably the thing that kept me going was the fact, though, that I was learning so much. And that was what really made it fun. Mm. Like I was a YouTube University graduate when it came to running the facility. But we also built up a lot of relationships and we were able to learn from other experts like Erica Douglas, sister scientist. She was a huge mentor for me to help run the facility and so many others. But we had to learn how to work together for sure. Where does one start? Um, and just a few pieces of credibility for Timothy, right? He had a perfect score in reading on the ACT, captain of academic decathlon at high school. He won $100,000 and who wants to be a millionaire. Um, he gassed me up. I like this. He was a McNair scholar in college. Um, he was captain of the track team, water polo, captain of water polo. He won city and diving. He was, I mean, the list goes on. So Tim is one of the most um, talented people I know, period, right? Whether it's fitness, whether it's, you know, education, whether it's, I mean, that's why I sounded like the man who wants to be a millionaire because I felt like we were sitting and watching the episode and you would get every single question right for hours straight. And I just didn't know anybody and I still don't know anybody who can do that. Uh, so I'm very impressed by you, Timothy, which, you know, people were like, oh, you're like co-founders with your husband. And I'm like, but Tim is brilliant. Like, he's not a normal co-founder. He's not a normal boo co-founder, right? Like, he's like a brilliant co-founder. I would pick him even if we wasn't doing whatever on the side. You know what I'm saying? So, like, um, but I, I was asking that because I wanted to know what made you think that, like, where should someone start? If they're like, hey, I'm not going to go the co-packing route, what would you encourage them to do? And, like, how does one start to build a manufacturer? Because you don't have a cosmetic chemistry degree. And you don't have, like, a science background outside of behavioral science, which is very, decision science is very different than, like, chemical science. And you don't have a, even a supply chain background like me. You know what I mean? And so, and I'm the marketer. So what made you, where'd you start to build a manufacturing facility? And what should somebody consider if they're thinking about building out their own manufacturing? What's up, you guys? For many of you who don't know, I'm Kim, CEO and co-founder of Curl Mix, where we help you master your curls in 21 days. Curl Mix is what makes this podcast possible, and it helps you get the best wash and go ever. So if you like my hair when you're watching the show, that is what got it here. We are now available in Ulta, you guys. Yes, it is our first retailer ever, and it's doing amazing. And I would love your support if you would go out to Ulta and try Curl Mix. All right, you guys, now back to the episode. You know, if I'm being really honest, I actually wouldn't encourage people to build out their own facility, <laughs> right? That is, it's crazy, right? What we've, what we've been able to accomplish is not only rare, uh, but it also was extremely, extremely difficult. We started from the ground up in our kitchen. You made most of our first few formulations. We did co-pack for a little while, right? We had to co-pack, I think, our shampoos and conditioners at first, and then we slowly built up our repertoire. We did hire a cosmetic chemist on staff. And so what I would encourage people to do is when they first start out is to start small. Start as small as you possibly can go and scale what you know and make sure that you're getting help. 
along the way. What's this small? Is, Can you give an example? We started in our kitchen in stockpots, making 60 bottles at, at a time of flaxseed mm-hmm. gel. Right? Okay. That small. And then as the business scale, we thought through what was the next step, right? And so the next step. And what do we do now, by the way, just in comparison? So we might have been producing in a 60-gallon stock pot. 60, I, 60 bottle stock sorry, pot. Five yeah, gallon. Yeah, five gallon stock pot, right? 60 bottles at a time. Now I can produce in a 200-gallon tank or a 300-gallon tank or a 500-gallon tank. And I can produce thousands of bottles, 6,000 bottles um, at once. And what we really did was we focused on whatever the next step was really, really well. So whatever our sales dictated, that's the problem we were going to solve. So we knew, okay, we go from stockpot to the next level of machine up. Or we, what was we, the next level from the stockpot? The next level of a machine was about 45 gallons. We had a machine that could do 45 gallons at a time as opposed to five. That was the next step. And then we went to... 50 gallons in drums. Then we went to 200 gallons in the tank. And now we're bringing on that three and 500 gallon tank. But I would encourage someone to look at other manufacturers who are similar scale and then learn from them. So I looked at Lush a lot, right? Lush is really good at doing small batch handmade products. And they have a YouTube channel that I just lived on like I promise you I've watched every single lush manufacturing video and I got to see their behind the scenes process and then I got mentors and then I got to visit other facilities along the way so how did you find out about those facilities I would make connections we went to trade shows like I always encourage people if you are in any sort of technical space go to the trade show for your space. We Can you would name go some to, manufacturing trade shows? We would go to the Pack Expo and Cosmoprov. And those are the people who are the cosmetic chemists, the manufacturers, the machine makers, the process people, um, packaging people, right? You want to be at the forefront of all that information so you can learn and grow and scale. And I've learned more from vendors uh, oftentimes than I've learned on my own, right? You can say, well, what is best in class right now? What can I afford and what can I incorporate into my process? Because ultimately your goal as a manufacturer is to capture economies of scale. That's something I do know from economics, (laughs) right? Your goal is to get a comparative advantage, right? The basic still works. You want a comparative advantage in how you produce products so that you can maintain margin, right? And capture economies of scale as you build up your facility. Right. You're going to it's going to start slow. You're probably going to be losing money um, in that middle range. But then you'll start to see your margins increase as you scale up. Should I formulate my own products? Not at first. (laughs) Okay. Right. Because formulation can get complicated and it also can be dangerous. You put yourself and your customers at risk yourself at legal risk, your customers at health risk when you do things wrong, Mm. right? We've been fortunate enough not to have, you know, not to be, you know, we've been fortunate enough not to send out any bad products. We've been fortunate enough to have experts on our team. We've been fortunate enough to work with. And we say bad as in like people having really bad reactions or things that are going to cause you to have hair loss or we keep our ingredients very simple so that we haven't had those issues. But we have had products separate, Right. In the past, which is not necessarily like a legal issue, but it's just like quality. It's like you don't want your products to separate for your customers, you know. But I just wanted to clarify that for anybody who's like curious. Yes. So to me, if you're working with 
really safe ingredients from the beginning. Like that's the easiest route to go because you can kind of minimize whatever damage you could potentially do. But you'd still, when producing natural products, you have to be very careful about how you formulate because they're going to respond differently. They could separate out on the shelves. You could have a bad customer experience, but at least you're not poisoning somebody. Right. Right. Like we've seen with relaxers and things like that. There has, there's the new version of cosmetics is clean. You have to be clean from jump. And so that, that does ease you into it. But I always recommend going to a cosmetic chemist first. What do you say to someone who's like, well, it takes too long going to a co-packer, dealing with the cosmetic chemist, sending the formula back and forth. It took me years to get to my first product. It does take a long time. And that's because you are a small fish and you are not important to them, right? <laughs> <laughs> they are producing in two-story tanks millions of units at once for hotels and P&G and Unilever Right. So sometimes, depending on the co-packer you're going with, you will not be a priority. What are some co-packers, you know, like, can you name some? The what you really want to do is find a co-packer to fit your scale. So Sister Scientist is a great example. They have a company called MSEED and they produce small batches, you know, starting at 500, 500 units, something like that. Um, and I hope in the future that we might be able to be. Uh, a co-packer for other companies who are select just starting few. Out. We're not doing it for no hundreds <laughs> very, of brands. Very, very no, select Maybe few. five to ten, you know. Yes. Um, but what are some bigger ones that you know of? So there's a, a great company in Chicago called Solo Labs. And I have a relationship with the owners. They've given me tours of their facility, their lab. They were so gracious. Um, and they are there to answer any questions I have. And they, I can't tell you who they produce for. Of but, course, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were, they're super, super helpful. And you'll find that in the industry and in most industries, people are really, really kind. People are really, really nice. It seems like there's a lot of competition, but that's mostly on the brand side. At the, on the back end of it, it's really, really friendly. How much money do I need to spin up a manufacturing facility? It depends. It depends. It really does. That's depend. not a good answer. But let's, let's get real about what it took us. You're talking at a scale where you're just going to crack seven figures. Say you're, you're producing a million dollar business. We did a million dollars in 2018 producing with that 45 gallon tank, right? It, was a, it wasn't a tank. It was like a drum, a 45 gallon drum, right? Well, it was, it's a, it's a specific machine, but it can produce 45 gallon batches. Oh, I know. What and you're that got about. us to, Oh, we can't tell you what the machine is. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So we had to figure that one out. Might have, to, <laughs> might have to get really, really creative, right? We had to go on eBay. We had to visit restaurant stores. We had to look at machines, test things out, right? Go to manufacturers, bring stuff in, take stuff out, buy broken stuff, see if we get it fixed. We did a lot of crazy stuff, but we got to a million dollars with one, maybe two machines and a lot of just grinding it out. But if you're trying to get to eight figures, nine figures, you're going to be investing minimum a million dollars to get a facility like that up and running. What are the benefits of manufacturing and the downsides? Give me two and two. The benefits are speed, right? In this world, speed kills. In entrepreneurship, speed kills. If you can get your product to market faster and start getting feedback about you know, what works, what doesn't work, um, and actually getting sales, Right. Because sales allow you to get funding later on. Sales allow you to get attention. Right. So the faster you can move, the better. That's the benefit. One of the big benefits. The other benefit is reliability. 
when you produce your own stuff, like in the pandemic, nobody could get anything. I remember going around begging, like, do you got 50 bottles? Tim was, like, Tim was stripping for plastic bottles <laughs> in the pandemic. <laughs> I was I was making people plates. I was calling. I was you were begging. making food. I was, yeah, anything. I, you got you got 50 bottles. Please, I just need 50 bottles. The order's already in the system. Oh, I my need. gosh. Right? We were, we were sending out everything. all kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. Amber bottles instead of the plastic ones. We, yeah, we were like, plastic. what do y'all have on back? Or did you have anything in the facility right now? We can take it. We, you know, we would do whatever it took to get stuff in and get orders out, right? And we were upfront with our customers, mind you. Like, none of this is like, oh, the customers didn't know we're triggering, we're changing our quality, none of that, right? We kept it above board, kept it 100 with the customers. They knew, we were like, it's going to be late. We might change the packaging, but the product is still good. But, you know, we had stuff stuck on boats and ships uh, and port and just could not get things in. But because we could go down the list, two, three, four, five manufacturers deep, five suppliers deep, five vendors deep, and find things and work our connections in the industry, we could still get product out. If you didn't have that, you literally were just not making money. Mm. And so many companies, you either like boomed during the pandemic or you busted, right? And the ones that boomed were the ones who had a lot of control over their supply chain. So speed and reliability are the benefits. What are the downsides of manufacturing? It is very, very hard to maintain and grow a facility that uh, is one up to code and produces high quality products with regularity and reliability. Mm -hmm. Right. That is that. Wait. So like, give me a, give me a, so you said speed and reliability. So mirror that for me. Like what are the two like categories? You are the one who is responsible for maintaining the quality. So of quality the is the hardest thing. Yes. Okay. So okay. you can't with a co-packer, you could say, Hey, this isn't right. And they're responsible for it. You send it back, you get more. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you mess up a batch, you got to throw it out yourself. You got to, mm. you have to see that money go down the drain. And that <laughs> is tough. Like when you say quality, what are some of the things And I'm asking this because I know what our quality process looks like, but what is, cause some people just think quality is like organic ingredients, like bro, you know, all natural cruelty free. Like that's not what we mean when we say quality, like that's the baseline. What is the quality we're talking about when we say quality? What you're really talking about is efficacy. Does the product work? Um, then you're talking about microbial issues. Is the product safe? Does it grow bacteria? Um, is it, is there a preservative system that is safe and reliable to, uh, to get rid of any bacteria that happens, you know, in the environment? Right. And then, um, do you have functional reliability, stability over time? So mm -hmm. does your product separate? Is the emulsion stable? Does the temperature, does the color change because of the temperature changes? Um, are you going to get smells? Will your fragrance you know, last, you know, two to three years on the shelf. Yeah. You control all of these factors and it can be very, very precise. Depending is the bottle sealed properly? Does it ship yes. properly? Does the nozzle break? You know, does, does it go through US, USPS and you see them throw your packaging all over? Will it survive, you know, uh, someone throwing it on the porch? Like all of these order things. Order accuracy. Used. Yes. Order accuracy. When it, we are vertically integrated. So we got R&D, we got production, we fill it and then we ship it out. That's a whole nother beast, right? You have to maintain all that. What's wrong with us, Get those orders <laughs> right. Get them shipped out. You have to, you're in talks with like your, your shippers, UPS, FedEx, you got those accounts. And it's so much to consider that you, you really do have to have a big team as well. So if we think about our company and the way it's structured, 
half of our employees are there to get orders out. Yep. Other half is there to market the business. When you're a co-packing company, you really are just a marketing agency, if you think about it. So the downsides are managing quality. What's another downside? Having a big team, it's expensive, right? You almost need investment in order to survive. And so that's where the funding stuff really comes in. So much of the reasons why we needed funding to be successful as a company was because we needed to continually invest in the manufacturing part of the business. Yes. I feel like with this last round of funding, we're just now getting to the point where we we have a nine-figure factory. Like, that's what our potential is in just this space alone, right? And you say nine-figure. It's not that we've made nine figures. He means nine figures and, like, we our capacity is... capacity. Here we go. Yes. So you should be able to get to that scale. And we did all the hard work of investing in the processes and the people, the equipment, and the space. And now it's just a matter of filling out that capacity. If we had a facility running at 100% every day, our quality, our systems were on point, we'd be in the nine-figure range, right? And mm. now it's just a matter of we have that that baseline. Let's get there on the marketing. But if you're co-packing, hopefully your co-packer is a nine-figure co-packer yeah. who can handle that kind of volume and scale with you so you can grow a little bit faster. But you also are at the whim of that co-packer watching on YouTube, unfortunately is not enough. If you've learned anything from my podcast, please, please, please leave me a review on Spotify or Apple podcasts. I would be so appreciative and you would help further the progress of this podcast. Now back to the episode. Now I know you say you sometimes wish that we had not chosen to go down the route of manufacturing, right? Cause we would have been putting both our brains behind marketing which means we probably would have grown much faster, right? You're brilliant, I'm brilliant, but we are working on two separate businesses, essentially. And if we had both been on the marketing side, what do you think Chromex would have become had we gone to a co-packer in the beginning? Because you had to imagine, you know, we were trying to get the flaxseed gel, made, they wouldn't make it. So we might have had to do like a synthetic flaxseed gel, right? Or something simpler, and then probably gone to retail sooner. What do you think we would be today... Do you think we'd still be the four-step washing-go system? Do you think we'd be master your curls in 21 days? Like, how would we have changed? As a, you know, we wouldn't have Chromex Fresh probably. Like, what, what would have changed about our business model had we launched a co-packer instead? I think one of the, the biggest parts of our business that goes unseen was our ability to build community centered around our ability to make what our customers wanted, mm. right? That That is something that, sets us apart from a lot of companies because we can spin up a product in 30 days based on a poll that we put in our Facebook group. And we got 20,000 of the best uh, customers in there who shout out to Chromixes. The Chromix. Listen, now the Chromix Facebook group is a gold mine for research and development, but they also will just straight up be like Kim and Tim, where is this product that y'all y'all released this product two years ago? Like, bring it back right now. They be mothering the mess out of us, yeah, bro. They be like, like y'all not doing right. Please make my favorite thing on Curl Mix Fresh. You're like, please, please. I missed the last drop. Like, relaunch it again. And we can do that, right? It's It's been a really cool opportunity to be able to say, hey, y'all want this? All right, bet. We make it. We sell it out. And it's like, the feedback loop is great. We have hundreds of formulas that we've been able to create and test, get feedback on. So that gives us an opportunity to to fail faster, learn faster than a lot of other companies. So if we wanted to, say, launch a co-packing agency, we have stock formulas that somebody could come in right away and use 
and start selling that we know work, mm-hmm. right? What co-packer could you go to and say, hey, the formula that you're using already sells. All you got to do is find the audience. That's, mm. that's very, very rare. But it helped us be, to build loyalty and to build a rabid fan base of people who absolutely love what we're doing because we're serving them at the utmost level. How much money do I need if I'm going to start working with a co-packer? I think you should really look at what your unit economics are going to be, right? Where are you at in the marketing? Where, what audience do you want to target? Are you solving a real problem? Is this problem serving a premium audience where you could spend potentially, you know, four to five dollars per unit, right? Or are you charging, you know, a, a lower price point? You going after kind of Walmart? You're probably needing to pay maybe a dollar per unit or less, right? That is really what's going to affect where you're where you're going to start at the co-packer. But most co-packers require probably like ten to fifty k worth of orders to really get you started with them. Okay, so now we're entering our lightning round. Da-da-da. Okay, I'm gonna have a few questions for you, Timothy. Um, the first question. What is a mistake that you made that you wish you could go back and change? One mistake that I feel like I made was not really understanding what quality means, right? You as a company get one chance, one customer on that first order. And if it's not perfect, they probably won't come back. And if you know as well as I know, when you're running an e-commerce company, you need them to come back. Because chances are you are losing money on that first sale. Yeah. And so if that first experience isn't as close to perfect as possible, you might have just lost that customer. And when I made that connection, that's when like everything really clicked. That's when you have to understand that each step in the process matters. What's a book that everyone should read? A book that everyone should read about manufacturing. I but it doesn't th- be about manufacturing. It be about I whatever you want. A book that you should read if you want to get really good at any kind of process would be Atul Gawan's The Checklist Manifesto. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. I think that's a really good one for you to understand systems and how people work, how things can go unnoticed. So if you really need to keep track of a process, you have to document it. Number one, you have to train on it repeatedly, and people have to know, understand, and believe in it. Um, And The Checklist Manifesto goes into that better than uh, lots of books that I've seen. What is your most embarrassing moment as an entrepreneur? My most embarrassing moment. It's tough to embarrass you. Ugh, it is because I'm just so cool. And <laughs> I do everything right all the time. Okay. Let me think about this. My most embarrassing moment, I thought I was going to get fired. Oh, from the big boss? From you. I thought Kim was going to fire me. Y'all. I'm the big boss, y'all. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I definitely thought Kim was going to fire me because I didn't think I was doing a great job. Uh, at being COO, right? There were, it was one particular incident, right? That really, 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 really pushed me and kind of just changed the way I approached um, entrepreneurship. You want to talk about the incident? Yeah, let's talk about this incident. It's, it's two incidents, but let's talk about the one that I'm thinking of right now. This is Black Friday. This is the BOGO. Oh, I remember that. So we launched a BOGO deal. For Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And we ain't done one since because this one was so bad. So we were like. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you guys can see the visible stress on your face. Kim, Kim's, Kim and the marketing team, they're like, oh, yeah, let's do a BOGO. And we'll do it on our bundles. Our bundles contain four products. 
So a BOGO is eight products, butter, serum, gel, moisturizer, right? They go in a big box, like they take a lot of time to pack. And we were putting those two boxes in a brown box and then shipping those. All out. these details. Tim said, Kim, I got it. I can get I them got out. it. I was like, I got it. It's going to be cool, right? I gave this man four days. He had only gotten through a couple hundred orders out of a thousand. I was like, you don't got it. I'm going to hire some friends off of Facebook. This is and we're going to get some people in here to help get these orders out. I this was is 4 a.m. <laughs> 4 a.m. We're in the office still. Our baby is asleep. I am like, we're not going to make it. <laughs> Four days <laughs> Kim, in, you realize and it. Kim is pissed, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I'm going to have to go get a job. Let me go update the resume. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And Kim, in a community, Kim put out a Facebook post at like 5 a.m. And by 8 o'clock, we had five or six people in, to help in, get the, in there out. to help us get these orders out. And I was like, see, I was like, we don't, you don't have to do everything by yourself. I think I, that was the biggest lesson. I just now have realized a lot about my Superman complex. I really do believe I can do it all, be all, everything and be perfect. But that's really just not the case. And I had to really cut down that ego. Um and realize I need to, I really need to learn, needed to humble myself and not take on too much. That was definitely too much. Forever humble. Shout out to Blast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. All right, last question. What moment in your career do you want to relive? Go back and experience again. It was so amazing. I didn't revel in it enough. I wish I could relive this moment. The moment that I would want to revel in and relive. have to be... The Shark Tank party, right? Mm. Shark Tank was such a whirlwind of experiences, right? We went from, I think it was maybe 300,000 the month before. Maybe, no, I'm sorry, 300,000, 200,000 the month before. And we did almost a million in sales when the Shark Tank episode aired. And we told people we were going to be late. Like, we just, we knew it was going to blow up. We knew it was going to be big. But like I feel like we maybe celebrated the one night the episode aired, and then after that it was like work, 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 <laughs> work, 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 work. <laughs> I didn't celebrate it long enough. Actually, I still have a problem celebrating things. Right? One of one of my issues is that I have such high expectations of myself that when I do accomplish the goals that we set out to accomplish, as opposed to celebrating them, I feel relieved, <laughs> and that is not like a good way to feel about hitting these really, really big goals. Yeah. Right. I would much rather take the time to just be happy for myself, for my team and what we've accomplished. So taking those moments, those big moments slower mm. and really enjoying them and being present is where I'm going. Wow. Tim, where can people find you and how can we support you? You can find me everywhere at Tim Lewis tech, but my main platform right now is Instagram. I'm thinking about being a TikToker, but we'll see. A TikToker. You sound like an old man. Getting on a clock app. You're an old man. <laughs> yeah. A TikToker. Thank you so much for coming on the pod, Tim. I appreciate you more than you will ever know. And that's a wrap, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I'll see you guys in the next More Rounds episode. Oh, don't forget. Check out Ulta. Go buy Chromix. We appreciate your support. And buy Tim's manufactured products. <laughs> I made that, y'all. Me and my team. They made that. I need a t-shirt. All right, y'all. Peace out.